The Morning Show. The Home Team. No, it's both. It's the crossover with Sam Franco and Chris Brave. Crossover, step back! Ah! Right here on 960theref.com. Episode 5 of the crossover here on 960theref.com. Sam Franco, Chris Brain, happy to be along with you once again. Plenty to get to on this edition of the podcast. We've got some Georgia basketball and some SEC over-unders. That is what we're going to hit coming up on this episode. And we'll just go ahead and dive right in here, Brain. Yante Mayton coming back to Georgia basketball for his senior season. Not like this was a shock or anything, but once he started to do some workouts for some teams, you know, he didn't go to the Combine, but he did work out for the Nuggets and the Celtics. That might have worried some people, but he did announce that he is going to come back and, and try and uh, improve his stock for the pros coming up with his senior season with the Dogs. Yeah, which will be interesting to see what kind of uh, – how, how his role adapts for Georgia, whether or not he'll have a little more leeway in, uh, in shooting from the perimeter, taking jump shots. I mean, Georgia needs him, if he's going to come and play for Georgia, to be a dominant post presence. Mm-hmm. But I think we can all agree that's likely not where he's going to uh, translate to on the next level – and I know those NBA scouts probably want to see that he has that ability to consistently shoot from the uh, perimeter. And he did show last to me. He's got some range from, from three-point land. He hit some of those last year. It's something he can do. Now the question is whether or not he can do it consistently and also whether or not that's what Georgia needs or wants him to do because you know, he can dominate in the paint in the SEC. And I think Mark Fox certainly would want him to uh, take a lot of more of those those higher percentage shots. Yeah, that was the number one worry I had when this news uh, came out. And look, obviously getting him back and having him on the team much better than not having him on the team. But it's not going to help Georgia if he's constantly out on the perimeter and taking those shots. I mean, yeah, he wants to improve his stock. But as you alluded to there, Georgia needs him down low and on the block. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, look, I, the guy's going to come back. He's going to be all SEC. He's got a chance to be the player of the year in the conference. He's a terrific basketball player, and I think he's got a, a solid pro future in him, too. It's just he's not going to be a center. He's not going to be a power forward. Um, so, you know, I guess that'll be maybe a, a give and take is to see how much leeway Coach Fox does give him to. We appreciate you coming back, so we'll – you know, I'll try and give you a little opportunity to maybe showcase what uh, what NBA scouts want you to look at, but at the same time, you're here at Georgia, and we got to do what's best for Georgia to give us the best chance to succeed, and that's with Yante really dominating in the post. Yeah, and getting Yante back is good news in the sense that you have a guy who you're going to rely on a lot and is going to be very important because a guy like J.J. Frazier no longer with the team, so you're going to have to find ways to – replicate the scoring that J.J. Frazier was giving you. And, and the backcourt's going to be very young this year. There's no question about that. You know, Turtle Jackson's back, but you also have the two guards that were freshmen last year. It'll be their sophomore season for Tyree Crump and Jordan Harris. So how Georgia splits the time in the backcourt's going to be interesting. And the big X factor, I feel like, is is Rayshon Hammonds and how much Coach Fox wants to play him. You know, you know if he really is the – second best recruit that coach Fox has pulled in behind KCP he's got to play he's got to play as a freshman and he seems like he could slide right in and fill that small forward slot yeah I mean another player I love on the team too is Ogbede mm-hmm. and you know Ogbede had his moments last year I mean particularly in, in Rupp Arena against Kentucky where he scored 
Um, definitely, he still has to get more polished offensively, but he's a, he's a great rebounder, gives Georgia a lot of second chances on the offensive glass. But, I mean, there's no question that Yante's decision impacts Georgia from here we are again. We're gonna, it's another season where I think we look at this team and feel like, sure, they're a contender to make the SEC tournament versus one that, I mean, might have been playing on Wednesday of the SEC tournament without them. Yeah, you mentioned Derek Ogbede, the uh, play around the rim, it's obviously very important from him. He's just got to get a little more touch. He goes up a little too strong sometimes with those hook shots and with those layups. And if he can be more consistent doing that and, and kind of take a step like we saw Yante Maton take from freshman to sophomore year and even from sophomore to junior year, uh, we kind of need to see something like that with Derek Ogbede, that, that improvement. And you've also got some depth with guys like Pop Giada and Mike Edwards on the bench. Uh, you've got some recruits coming in, including uh, Conte, the big man out of uh, Brooklyn, New York. So this team, in theory, it's kind of like I was saying last year, this team should be deeper this year than they were in years past. And it's kind of the same thing going forward into this season. You know, this team should be pretty deep. I mean, they've got uh, some big men that can come off the bench. They've got guards, at least depth in that guard rotation. So Georgia, in theory, should be better, should be improved. But, you know, losing a J.J. Frazier is something that they're definitely going to have to figure out how to get those points. Sure, because, I mean, I think looking at the end of last year, that was the question I kept asking myself is, all right, where's the perimeter scoring going to come from next year? And those games that Mayton got hurt and Georgia was able to tread water, uh, you know, I mean, Frazier was the guy that was just going nuts scoring for him and really leading the team there. And I, uh, I have no idea. I mean, it's a, it's a mystery as to what guys are going to step up and, and try and fill that scoring that George is definitely losing from, um, from Frazier. But you know, for Coach Fox, it's interesting it, because I think it Mayton coming back maintains that that expectation level of NCAA tournament, or you know, likely the season's going to feel like a, a disappointment. Versus Mayton not coming back would have at least lowered the bar there. But this will be the third year in a row that Georgia's got a team that you look at and you like the makeup of the the roster and the lineup, and you know, feel pretty good that it it could be should be a team that makes it to the tournament. The last two years have been disappointing on that front, and um, you just hope that Mayton's coming back for one more year and this program doesn't end up uh, squandering You know what turned out to be three years with, um, with Yante because it's already happened with both uh, Gaines and Mann, and now Frazier's moved on, and Mayton will be moving on after this season. Now, how many NCAA tournament trips were there to show for mm-hmm. it? What are your expectations for this team going forward for this season? I think that's a big question because, again, you lose J.J. Frazier, one of Georgia's all-time greatest scorers. So without him there, that's one thing that you would take a step back in. But again, I mean, the, you're getting Yante Maton back. You know, you have a high-profile recruit in Sean Hammonds. You have some depth and players that have been in the program for a while. It's kind of like last season. The expectation should probably be getting to the NCAA tournament. Right, but here's where I am now, though. I'm not going to – I mean, I've, I've been tricked two years in a row, so honestly my expectation for this year's team is it's going to end up in the NIT. And if you think that uh, they're going to make it to the NCAA or should, you're, I mean, you're going to end up being let down until they, until they prove different and maybe actually go and make it. I'm not going to get my hopes up this year thinking that Georgia's going to have a, a really strong season and, and get back on into that bracket in March. So my expectation is we're going to see him in the NIT again, hopefully playing someone other than Belmont. If that is the case and they're back in the NIT, does that signal the end for Coach Fox? I, I mean, it, it's going to become harder and harder to justify 
keeping him. And I know, I mean, right now the strongest case for for him is, yeah, and he did inherit a, a mess that oh, yeah. uh, with, with the years under Coach Felton. And Georgia's definitely been um, a better program, nearly getting to 20 wins almost every season, ha- have pretty consistently now gotten into the postseason, albeit not the NCAA tournament, but at least the NIT, whereas there weren't like any postseason berths mm-hmm. under Coach Felton. But you know, then I, I just I think you get to the you've come to the same point. I feel like we kind of were in those last years with Mark Richt in the football program. Is has a has a limit been reached? And this is as as good as it's going to get. And granted, knowing that it could be a lot worse, I still have that nagging feeling that over the last couple of years, I mean, things could also have have been better for Georgia, and uh, but just haven't been. And here we are, two years in a row in the same postseason tournament. None of us wanted to see Georgia in playing, oddly enough, the same exact team. And this year, the Dogs didn't even win the game. Yeah, exactly. So the expectations should be that Georgia's competing for the NCAA tournament every year but unfortunately I think some down years have kind of shifted that a little bit so if you are a Georgia basketball fan it has been a little bit of a a rough spell here but like you said though I mean Georgia is is doing things they're, they're improving their win total they're getting better but 20 wins isn't a guarantee into the tournament anymore and I think the big weakness under coach Fox has been these slow starts that's what's kept you out of the NCAA tournament you look at last season that loss to Marquette and the loss to Oakland on the road, you win those two games, you're in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, there have been those bad non-conference losses. They seem to be they're, – they're fewer and fewer now. But, um, but yeah, that, that home loss to Marquette, and especially the way it happened, the Dogs really got, mostly got blown out in that game. I know Georgia made a run in the second half and got it down to one. Mm-hmm. And then, just like that, Marquette had gotten it back up to double figures, and, and the Dogs really weren't in contention anymore after that. And then blowing that lead, yeah, for sure on the road at Oakland. I mean, to be fair, I mean, that was one game you could – it was a couple days before Christmas. You're going up to Oakland, Michigan to play. You, I mean, those are the games you always have these 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 nervous feelings about, like, boy, that's not going to be a great spot going on the road a couple days before Christmas. Where's everyone's focus going to be? But then, I mean, Georgia came out and played great and then for whatever took a nap or whatever reason just took a nap in the – in the second half yeah the close but no cigar thing is a problem too with Georgia basketball you know you took Kentucky to overtime in Rupp you know you went to overtime down at the O'Connell Center uh, down in Florida and you had a really tight game with Kentucky here in Athens but you know close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades man like you got to win some of those games yeah and that mean those and just one of those might be the difference between being in the NIT and being in the uh, the NCAA tournament so um, that's and that's that, that's another to go back to the issue of uh, of Coach Fox as I feel and I guess last year there ended up being one RPI top fifty win Vandy mm-hmm. would have ended up in there yeah. and you know other than that over the last five seasons now you've got to go back to two that Georgia had over Missouri back in two thousand thirteen mm-hmm. and Missouri ended up exactly with an RPI of fifty so I feel like you know to, with with Coach Felton. The winning percentage, or with Coach Fox, the winning percentage is definitely much, much better. But I can't imagine that that he's winning any more games against RPI top 50 teams than Dennis Felton was. I mean, because Coach Fox really isn't beating any of them. That The place where the difference is is at least Georgia's not losing to teams with triple-digit RPIs. The pressure on Coach Fox will be immense this year. There's no question about it. And getting Yante Mayton back 
probably helps that out a pretty sure because it maintains I think that that feeling that yeah, I mean Georgia should be pretty good this season because one thing the dogs are going to have now every time they play is one of if not the best player on the court yep so we'll see what happens with Georgia basketball but again it was uh, good news for them to get Yante Maiden back all right we'll uh, switch gears here on the crossover Sam Franco Chris Brame along with you and the SEC over unders have been set uh, CG Technology, a Las Vegas sportsbook operator, released its first over-under on uh, for the uh, win totals for the teams in the conference. And no shock here, as the Alabama Crimson Tide have the highest over-under at 10.5. So, Chris Brame, what are your thoughts on the 10.5 number for Alabama? Uh, I wouldn't take the under, um, even though Alabama does open with Florida State. Let's say Florida State won that game, then all of a sudden, you know, then Alabama's got to run the table in the SEC. But um, uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not messing with the tradition and the recent history we've seen with the uh, with the Tide. I would, I would take over there or nothing at all. And as much as I'd like to think that you know Florida State's going to be a great team this year, and that's Florida State and Alabama. Of course, Florida State's got a chance to beat them right now. Bama's like a touchdown favorite in that game. And we see every year Bama in these season openers. They've got the entire offseason to get ready for them. And they just uh, they steamroll. Here's my question. If it's a 10.5 over-under, that means that two losses would be the under. Yeah. So... Where are there two losses on this schedule? You looked at Florida State as a possibility as being a loss at Texas A&M maybe, although, I mean, A&M has is, is not been great in recent years. Um, it ain't going to be Vanderbilt. It ain't going to be Ole Miss. I mean, Arkansas. I'm never going to say LSU doesn't have a chance was to gonna beat them, even yeah. with O. And then Auburn this year, a lot of people are expecting them to be much improved and could be a team that that is able to contend with Alabama. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I mean, again, we're talking about a league last year where, and that's I think it's reflected in the totals outside of Alabama, where the LSU is sitting at nine. Then you got three teams that have totals of eight, including Georgia. But, um, I mean, a year ago, the team that went to the Sugar Bowl out of the SEC was 8-4 and four and didn't get a first down in the second half against us here in Athens. So that pretty much sums up what the SEC was like last year behind uh, the tide. Yeah, you mentioned LSU there. They come in at 9, like you said. They have an interesting schedule. They're going under. Uh, under the 9. They've only got three SEC home games. That's true, uh, and that, a lot of that has to do with the flipping around of the Florida series there, and Florida will get back-to-back home games yeah. against LSU this year and next year. Uh, they start with BYU, and I believe that is a neutral site game. It is. I, I think it's in Houston, maybe. I, I don't know exactly correct. where. It's it's in either Provo or Baton Rouge. Yeah, and uh, that'll be one that they should – they'll be expected to win and should win, although remember last year they did play – in uh in that uh Lambeau Field game and lost to Wisconsin the the BYU game is at NRG Stadium in Houston uh, in the non-conference I also play Chattanooga Syracuse and Troy and in the SEC like you said only three home games uh A&M Arkansas Auburn so that is going to be rough for them uh they play Alabama in Tuscaloosa they play Tennessee in Knoxville Florida and Gainesville Ole Miss in uh, Oxford and Mississippi State in um, Starkville, so they do have some rough the rough go of things. So the a push would be three uh, losses and a 
Uh, under would be four. So are there four losses there? And just going on the road in the SEC ain't easy. Well, I, yeah, I wouldn't take the – I definitely wouldn't take the over. I mean, I guess I could see nine wins. If we give them that they they sweep their non-conference and go 4-0 there, mm-hmm. then I, I don't see 6-2 and two in the SEC when you only have three games at uh, – at home this season so it would take six and two in the sec giving them four and oh non-conference to go over nine um i mean they could certainly do five and three in the sec and be right at nine so i wouldn't take the over for sure i mean if anything i would take the under and then hope for all right well the worst i'm going to get is a push at nine yeah and i i think there's just a lot of unknown with lsu with matt canada coming in and being the offensive coordinator it's going to be the first full year under coach O. So there's more unknown about them, and that would make me hesitant to even think about taking the over. And then obviously you had the arrest recently of Lannard Fournette. That's right. And uh, I, I, I'm not misspeaking there. Uh, Lannard, or is it Lennard? I would think it it'd might be, be Lennard. I don't know. But, but. either way, uh, it is Leonard Fournette's brother who is listed as a running back on LSU's team, and he was arrested for using a fake ID at a Baton Rouge casino. So great start. Uh, is that wrong? just trying to get in and he's trying to throw the roll some craps man yeah he's trying to do i wonder if his brother like said hey here's a little money and then lennard or lanyard decided you know (laughs) what i'm gonna go blow this at some uh underground casino yeah the reason we don't know how to pronounce his name is because uh i've never heard of well because they have darius geis and i know how to pronounce his name that's uh also correct there all right uh auburn is one of the three teams that you were talking about there set at eight and Auburn's interesting this year because they do have Jared Stidham coming in at quarterback, and I think that will give them the best quarterback play that they've had arguably since Cam Newton. I mean, you know, you have a guy in Jared Stidham who played well at Baylor and comes in with some weapons on the offensive side of the ball. So I look at Auburn's schedule, and it, it is a tough schedule. They play at Clemson, at LSU at Arkansas, at A&M. Uh, they do close out with three straight home games, Georgia, Lou Monroe, and Alabama. But they do have a, a rough schedule. So 8-4, and four, do they go over or under that? I mean, I can I can see a lot of toss-up games on here. I don't see – I see definite wins, but I don't really see any definite losses. Yeah, what, what worries me about Auburn, and I, I kind of like them too because I still think they're going to be pretty good on defense, even losing Adams and, and Carl Lawson. Mm-hmm. But with Kevin Steele there, they finally, for the first time in, what, four or five years now, have the same defensive coordinator in consecutive right. seasons. Coach Boom only lasted, what, a year there? A year. Yeah. And then I guess he replaced Ellis Johnson. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you had Steele. So I guess it's three years. Yeah. Um, but – but but here's my problem with Auburn now is I feel like there's there's a lot of like growing buzz around them with uh, Stidham and I think St- Stidham's going to end up being a lot better than Jeremy Johnson was because he he fits that Malzahn offense he's got some wheels and he can run but I'm always troubled with uh, with teams that sort of generate you know a a bit of preseason hype and they yeah you know, I mean just mediocre last season they've got more of a a history of kind of letting you down than they do of being good i agree all right we'll jump to another eight over under team florida and i see i see under here i mean i think that florida lost all of the defensive recruits that Muschamp had in there and 
McIlwain did a pretty good job at saving the recruiting class from being just a complete failure, but still they're behind a lot of teams in the SEC in recruiting. And they start the season off in Dallas against Michigan. I, I put an L right there immediately. I don't, Michigan's got nothing coming back, though. That's true. They, they did lose a lot. They lost Taco Charlton. They lost Jabril Peppers. They lost every defensive they lost starter. But, yeah. yeah. That but is going to be yeah, They lost every defensive starter. They lost their top two leading rushers. I think their top three receivers. They've got Spates back at quarterback. I kind of – I'll be honest. I kind of like the Gators in that first game, but I will take the points just to be on the safe side. But what does Florida have? Um, I mean, I, I agree with you. They're, they're, both lost of some, these teams are coming yeah, in here. Florida's lost some guys defensively, too. I guess I mean, you know, Antonio Calloway is a really good player. I mean, he just got arrested uh, uh Last weekend, yeah, he for, pulled a Riley Ridley. <laughs> yeah, but I, Elijah I Holyfield. I think F- Florida has more; uh, they're a little more lax on that stuff than Georgia is. So I have no idea whether or not he's going to miss a game or not. And probably point. not, since their first game is against Michigan. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's my my trouble with Florida, and it, it kind of has some relates to Georgia. Is that Georgia's the team that's getting all the the preseason hype? This is the team that's they've got experience. They've got everyone back on defense. They were really good last year. Um, uh, but and no one's talking about Florida, and Florida's a team that for the for the last two years has gone to the East. So that's what uh, has won the East. So that's what troubles me about the Gators is they're the they're like the sleeper in the division. But at your, I mean, but but that being said, we're talking about the SEC East. So I mean, eight wins might might be the max for them. A lot of it could swing on whether or not they beat Michigan. That's true. Uh, we'll jump to Tennessee now, who's over under set at seven and a half. And for me, this is the year that costs Butch Jones his job. I feel like, you know, last year he had a chance to do something great. They didn't. He got kind of snippy and goofy with some of the things he was saying in the media, that champions of life thing and and stuff like that. So you see that, and (laughs) it's kind of like, is he losing it a little bit? And and they have an interesting schedule. Uh, Again, there's not really any guaranteed – wins other than like Indiana State and UMass Southern Miss I wouldn't even call a guaranteed win you know that's going to be a tough game I believe Mississippi no Kentucky opens on the road at Southern Miss after losing to them last year right so I'm just saying that one you better watch out but you look at their schedule and opening against Georgia Tech on Labor Day at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium tentatively we'll see if that thing is open or not for that game but that's going to be a tough game for them they also have to go to Alabama, which we'll just go ahead and mark that one down as a loss. Yeah, that's a loss. Um, and uh, they do have some of their harder games at home, though. They host Georgia. They host LSU. Uh, so you look at those games, and, and that'll help them out there. But if seven and a half, I'm going to go under. I think they went seven games. Yeah, if they would they end up with last year, eight? Yes. And that was with... You know, Josh Dobbs, and Dobbs, now they don't Barnett, have a quarterback. Yeah, right. that was with this experienced team. Alvin Kamara was on, was there. So I think the wheels fall off. Yeah, like, I mean, they needed the, a Hail Mary to beat us. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I, I, I would hesitate to look at uh, to take the over seven and a half there, and that would be, you know, even if you give them all right, they go four and zero non conference, but are guaranteed at least one loss in the SEC. So. Yeah, that's probably it's all those numbers are right on there. Yeah, they about are. yeah. All right, we'll hit some of these a little quicker before finishing up with Georgia, just because uh, you know we've kind of hit some of the teams of interest. Uh, Texas A and M is seven. They start the season at UCLA. 
I don't really know what to think about Texas A&M. I mean, a seven over under, I could see that being a push. Yeah, I know. You know, they've got Christian Kirk, who figures to be one of the the top draft picks out of the conference next year in the uh, in the NFL. They are losing Miles Garrett uh, defensively. Don't know what their quarterback situation is going to look like. They've had all those guys uh, transfer, but um, I mean, yes, yeah, seven or eight wins sounds about right for A and M. Also, in the in that general area, Arkansas, and this is a very important year for Brett Bielema. I think he is a guy who's also on a little bit of a warm seat, if not just a straight-up hot seat. Um, They play at Alabama, at LSU, at Ole Miss. Uh, The game against TCU, I'm not exactly – is that a neutral site game? No, it's in Fayetteville. Okay, they're playing in Fayetteville. And uh, they also have their every-year neutral site game now where they take on um, Arkansas in um, – Dallas. Dallas, that's right. Although Southwest Classic. Or, excuse me, they take on Texas A&M. Pardon me, I didn't mean to say Arkansas. But, uh, yeah, they are playing uh, TCU and Fayetteville. Seven for Arkansas. If they don't win more than seven, I think BLM is out. I don't see how they do. Because like LSU, because they play that neutral site game every year, Arkansas every other year only has three home conference games. Throw on top of that a game against TCU, and since TCU just lost to us in a bowl game, I, I expect TCU to be a juggernaut this season, like Penn State was last year. So um, I, I don't see how Arkansas gets to gets past seven. I'll say that. All right, what about Kentucky? Uh, they have an interesting schedule. Like I said, they open at Southern Miss. <laughs> yeah, and that's trouble. They yeah, and then they uh, they host Eastern Kentucky. Uh, they also host Eastern Michigan in the non conference and host Louisville. Uh, in the conference, at Georgia, at Vandy, at Mississippi State, and at South Carolina. They host Florida, they host Tennessee, host Ole Miss. I'll say this. That Florida-Kentucky game this year, and Kentucky has gotten better, they have lost 30 straight years to that team. You think Lexington ain't going to be raucous for that thing? (laughs) Uh, You hope it will be, but a lot of it might depend on what their record is already coming into that. Like you said, I mean, they could could lose week one to Southern Miss, and that could uh, deflate them. Um, Listening to that road schedule, though, I mean, they've – it's not a terrible road schedule for no. Kentucky. I mean, every single one of those schools you rattled off there, and unfortunately, including Georgia, is uh, you know is a game that I don't think it's out of the question that Kentucky could win. We got two. Uh, well, we'll go with uh, six and a half is what Missouri has, and this is another team where I'm going to be honest. I don't really have a read on them for this year. Uh, they do play. They host Missouri State, South Carolina, Purdue, and Auburn to start the season. So four straight home games, and then they're at Kentucky, at Georgia. They host Idaho and Connecticut, or, or travel to Connecticut. That's weird uh, in the uh, kind of middle to back of October when you have two non-conference games like that. Yeah. But uh, they wrap up the season uh, hosting Florida, hosting Tennessee, at Vandy, and at Arkansas. Six and a half. I mean. I mean, I could see him getting six. I don't really – I wouldn't go over. They should at least win one more game this season because they, they lost last year at West Virginia non-conference, so that gave them a non-con loss. I mean, they've got a better chance now, I guess, of running the table non-conference and pick up a win there. Um, the key for them would be – yeah, they pulled that upset last year, the last game of the season when they knocked off Arkansas. Arkansas blew that three-touchdown lead. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they're another team. It kind of feels like sixes – Six or seven is right around that number for them. South Carolina and um, Mississippi State are each set at five and a half. 
I South Carolina, I feel strongly they go under. And Mississippi State, I feel pretty strong they go over. Dan Mullen hasn't finished last in the SEC West since his first season there. That that Mississippi State Georgia game, you know, is going to be an interesting. Yeah, game. and they've got I mean they've got one of the great quarterbacks in the league, and Nick mm-hmm. Fitzgerald. I mean Dan Mullen is at this point now. You, I mean I guess you could argue he's the second best coach in the conference too. And so yeah, he's in Starkville. They have not finished last in the SEC West since his first season there in 2009. So right now they've got the lowest win total of any team in that division. So that feels like an easy overcall for me there. And and with the Gamecocks. They like, I don't know, they, first of all, they, they opened with NC State, closed with Clemson. So they're going to have one more non-conference loss this year than they had a, uh, a year ago. So if they do two and two out of the, out of the non-conference, then to go over five and a half, they'd have to go four and four in the SEC. We'll wrap things up here with Georgia. Come back around to them. Eight is the over-under. We all know the schedule, starting with App State. Then they travel to Notre Dame, host Samford. And then the conference slate hits, hosting Mississippi State to start. Back-to-back games in Tennessee, at Tennessee, and at Vandy. Then they uh, come back home to host Missouri before having the bye week and then traveling down to Jacksonville to take on Florida. Uh, They'll wrap up the season in November, hosting South Carolina on November 4th, which is weird. And then at Auburn, hosting Kentucky, and at Tech. So that's how Georgia's schedule wraps down. Sounds like 12 and 0 to me. Yeah, I know. I'm going to say over. I don't know how much over. But I do think Georgia wins the East, and I think that I'm going to be honest with you. I think that they're going to be undefeated four and zero going into that game at Knoxville on September 30th. Yeah, I've, I've talked a little bit about the the trouble with with forecasting Georgia's results this year and kind of going back to last year's. Is you know I would it'd be nice if Georgia went seven and five a year ago and you look back and could say like and they were also zero and four in one possession games yeah but Georgia actually went five and three in one score games last year you know they had a one point win and a one point loss they had a three point win and a three point loss they lost a game by two points uh, non conference they they lost a, they they won a game by two points non conference against Nichols. They lost to uh, Tech by one point. So, really, I mean, those those close wins and losses really evened themselves out a year ago. And also, Georgia went seven and five with the second best turnover margin in the conference. So, it's um, you know, there's not there's not like an obvious area there to pick apart where you can definitely see a no brainer improvement on the record from a year ago. We just all are have, having to rely on the idea that the dogs had some young players in some critical spots last year that naturally should progress Kirby's in his second year now and there's been a good history of success with coaches in their second year at programs Chubb and Michelle are coming back there's plenty to like about Georgia but there were still some things about last season that um that were ominous no doubt about it so there's our kind of over under review of the SEC and college football be here before you know it folks so uh just enjoy your summer and uh buckle in as uh, the dogs We'll uh, get things fired up against Appalachian State coming up in September. He's Chris Brame. I'm Sam Franco. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Crossover. You can catch us every week on 960theref.com. So be sure to do that, and we'll be back next week with another episode right here on 960theref.com. You've been listening to The Crossover with Sam Franco and Chris Brame on 960theref.com.